I can't do it. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. The Dory Monson Show on Cairo Radio. This is The Big Lead. Welcome, welcome to The Big Lead this hour. Brandy Cruz filling in for my friend Dory Monson, who is doing a very adult thing and taking some time during the holidays to spend it with family and friends. I'm so proud of him. It's <laughs> well, just... he he does that a lot, a lot during the holidays. I mean, we've got to space these out a little bit. I feel like I've told him that before. You need every couple months or whatever is fine, but a whole bunch in a couple months is not as ideal. Are you saying you don't want him gone for two weeks because you don't you don't like hanging out with me? That's all right. No, okay. I love hanging out with you. Thank you. I uh, inquired on the text line to send me some wedding planning advice, and the text line has been just a buzz. Triple eight nine seven three Cairo. Triple eight nine seven three Cairo. They love to give their opinion on how you should do things. I asked for their opinion. I know. I don't want to hear their opinion. I'm just saying that's something we all love to do is to give people advice on how they should do things. Yeah. The other thing we're getting a lot of texts on is this Tim Robbins interview. We just Mm -hmm. um, played uh, chunks from here in the last segment. Tim Robbins, an actor who is admittedly a leftist, uh, was on Russell Brand's podcast, and he was being very introspective about how you know he went in the deep end over COVID policies, you know, whatever the government says he would do. And he really was angry at people who wouldn't. And then he came to realize, you know, some of it, just the science went out the window. Uh, 206 says, I appreciate Tim Robbins' introspection. I almost lost my life to COVID and doctors harassed me about getting the vaccine during my three months hospital stay. Another 206, big props to Tim Robbins and his awareness and ability to put that into words. Um, let's see here. 253 says my life barely changed during the pandemic. The only difference was wearing a mask and making twice as much money because all the other companies weren't working. <laughs> yeah, that was part of it. I, 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 it's hard looking back even at the pandemic now because it does, it lasted for such a long time, but it feels like just kind of a blur. You know, Mike and I did like a home remodel during the pandemic, which was really challenging because we were, we were still living in the house and remodeling it during a pandemic and everything was drawn out. So when I think of the pandemic, I think of the six months of hell on earth. Of doing a remodel. There, there are definitely pros and cons that came out of it, right? The ability to work from home effectively and efficiently, I think was very, was very useful. And I think can be very useful to companies. And you can, you know, you can now not have as many people call it sick, right? And they can work from home if they're sick and things like that. So there was, de- there was a lot of good, but, for sure, what he said about bringing out the worst in people and the and the divisiveness that came out of it. If you don't do this, then it's your fault. And and I do think we came out of it on the on the very angry side on yes. both sides. Yeah, I tend to agree. All right, with all of that as mere prelude, let's get to the big lead this hour. The big lead, big local. Joe Kent has finally conceded (laughs) the race for the third congressional district in Washington state. Um, So, of course, Joe Kent was the Republican who ran against Jamie Herrera Butler because she voted to impeach former President Donald Trump. Joe Kent uh, is able to edge her out in the primary election. He goes forth to the general with Marie Perez, uh, the Democrat, and he ends up losing uh, by about 3000 votes. And apparently he's waited all this time to concede because he says that he wanted a recount 
Um, and so he put out this statement saying, I promised during the campaign that I would accept the outcome of the election now definitively determined as the recount has concluded. This morning, I called my opponent to concede and offer my congratulations on her victory. I think it looked fine. Whatever. I don't I don't care if you don't officially concede until the, the, the votes are all counted. There's a recount or whatever. I think people fundamentally misunderstand what conceding is, though, even even if and, and I got this when I was in TV news a lot and we'd call races. And people would get really mad at races being called because they thought like, oh, it's being called too early. The media calling a race means absolutely nothing. You do realize that. I mean, the media can come out and say, oh, so and so won. It has no bearing on the race. It's not like if the media calls a race, then the results are final. No, the media is just making an estimation of statistically what the probability is that that person is going to win. And they, when they feel like that statistic probability uh, is so great, then the media will call the race. And the same thing with candidates. You can come out the day after the election and say, hey, you know, results aren't looking very good. We're going to see if, how things end up. But, um, you know, we, we just don't think we can catch up. And that has no bearing. If you catch up a week later, it's not as if conceding means that you have officially withdrawn your name from contention. Uh, and, and, and that's the case, too, here. And I think I just think we put too much value. I like concessions, especially when you look at the statistics and it's just not in your favor, because I think that it shows um, how big you can be. And I think that it allows the process to move forward uh, and gives your, you know, um, kudos to your opponent. And I just think it's a very kind, productive thing to do. And so, yeah, I mean, Joe Kent coming out, you know, more than a month later and conceding doesn't really mean all that much to me. But I do think what is interesting is a little bit of a tease that Joe Kent made in this concession. And, and Nicole, you've had him on a few times. Based on your um, experience with Joe Kent, do you think he'll run for something again? Well, I don't think he's going to just go away. So I'm not sure what he'll do. But I, so I, I think he'll find a way to make a bigger impact. Yeah, he said, so one of the things he talked about in this concession is, and I'm glad he did this, is the low turnout from Republicans. He said, um... In this loss is an important lesson. We've identified over 81,000 Republicans who did not vote in the general election. Democrats have taken full advantage of ballot harvesting laws in Washington state, but Republicans lag far behind. And I tend to agree you have Republicans who complain a lot about some of the tactics employed by Democrats to get as many votes as possible. But it's like if it's legal and they're doing it, you should be doing it, too. Right. I mean, in the voting early, we've had a few people on since the election that have all reiterated that you've got to just go like move with the times and take advantage of what you can. You have to work with the system you're given unless you you can push for changes to the system. That's fine. But you have to work within the system you're given because Democrats are. Mm -hmm. And when he says we identified over 81,000 Republicans who did not vote in the general election. I don't know if he's if he's talking about that's in the third congressional district or if he's talking about statewide. I don't know the numbers that he's I, I would assume he's talking statewide there because 81,000 in that congressional district would be an awful lot. But, um, you know, I agree with him that it is you get out to eastern Washington, you have some of these areas that are deep red. And, yeah, they're much more sparsely populated, but they need to have, I mean, close to perfect turnout to be able to have an actual influence on statewide races when you have King County that has so many voters. And so I'm glad he took his concession as an opportunity to underscore that point. But he did sort of. He's ahead. He said, we cannot continue to lose the voter turnout battle. Our party must adapt. And I look forward to helping lead this change. I will have more to say in early January. Rest assured that I'm not done yet. So, OK, I mean, I will see what Joe Kent has to say. I will say that I still think it was a, 
the Republican Party in Washington state has a lot of work to do when it comes to not the self-inflicted wounds. I think that if Joe Kent hadn't entered the race, Republicans would still have the third congressional district. I think Jamie Herrera Butler, I know there are some people mad at her for her impeachment vote, but I think that she would have won. And now, you know, because Republicans, you had this wing of the party that was so mad at her. Well, now you lost a congressional seat. And now out of 10 congressional seats in Washington state, Republicans only have two. They have the fourth with Dan Newhouse and the fifth with, um, uh, why am I forgetting, Kathy McMorris Rogers. So out of all 10 House members, two senators, you now only have two seats in our congressional delegation. And that is a self-inflicted wound. And the other thing the Republican Party really needs to figure out is how to stop these um, really crowded primaries. You know, we saw that with the Secretary of State's race. You had too many Republicans run in the primary and they got crowded out by a Democrat and a nonpartisan. And I'll tell you, in 2024, with a gubernatorial election, this is going to be an open seat. I mean, Governor Inslee is absolutely not going to run again. I know that some people are saying he will. Zero percent chance. Zero percent chance he runs again. So it's going to be an open race and you're going to have probably four or five serious Democrats contending for that seat. Now, a mistake for Republicans would be to run 21 people like they did in 2020, which ended up with Lauren Cole. If they don't get their you know what together, Republicans are going to end up sending two Democrats forth in the 2024 general election for governor. And so I really hope and I do think and I've, I've heard from some folks that there is some work behind the scenes to try to stop that from happening. But you can't you can't as the state Republican Party chair, you can't stop somebody from running as a Republican. It's not as if they have say a say over that. If you want to run as a Republican for office, you can. And I'm sure that when the secretary of state thing came up, there was some effort to say, hey, guys, you can't have three of you running because we're going to end up with no one in the general election. So hopefully from now until um, really the 2024 cycle starts in earnest, there's some work going on in the state Republican Party to get all of that under control. Joe Kent sounds like he wants to be part of that work and part of improving uh, voter turnout, which I, I think is a very good thing. So uh, his concession is the weird the timing of it's a little Late, fine. I mean, we knew he lost a while ago, but I, I do like what he uh, included as part of that. And I like the idea of a book close. Like, there's no questions. Like, we're just moving on. We've done right. the recount. We're moving on. He yeah. Accept, everybody accepts it. Look, and he has he has a right to ask for a recount. And it's not as if it was a world apart between the two candidates. It was like 3,000 votes. Mm-hmm. So I know some people will be mad at that, but I, I really don't care. Like, if you want a recount before you officially concede, fine. You got your recount. Now he's conceding, and he's also talking about some bigger plans. So I think that's good. All right, coming up next in The Big Lead. The Big Lead. Top trending. So this is interesting. There's been a lot of shows out about not, or not 9-11. Oh, my gosh. That's from Kareem Jean-Pierre. Get out of my head. Um, there's been a lot of uh, documentaries and shows out there about January 6th. And um, there is a new uh, documentary on it and um, on HBO. And Don Lemon, who's now doing mornings at CNN, and it's unwatchable, <laughs> might I add, uh, Don Lemon uh, had on the filmmaker, Andrew Callahan, Callahan to talk about his um, new, um, what is the name of the documentary? Sorry, I, I just oh, got X'd out of my, okay, we'll get to that in a moment. So he had him on to talk about this new documentary about January 6th. And Don Lemon was trying to take him to task for an interview in the documentary with one of these far right sort of extremists who participated in it. And (laughs) Andrew, this place rules, this place rules. Okay, And Andrew Callahan, um, 
really kind of ended up embarrassing Don Lemon on his own show. The movie's not just about like the the Capitol riot and all that. It's also about like media echo chambers. You know what I mean? And like the dangers of the uh, 24-hour news cycle and how I think mainstream media like Fox and even CNN like competes for views by running constant 24-hour news cycles based upon fear, division, outrage, and panic probably to like sell ads. So it's not just about the capital, right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. First of all, I don't agree with what you're saying, but I'm not exactly sure of how that played into people going into the Capitol uh, and rioting on January 6th. Um, there's nothing fake about CNN. Oh, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying like fake news. I'm just saying ramping. And you'll notice he didn't say anything about fake. He did not say in that answer, all CNN's fake news. And apparently that's what Don Lemon's thinking, though. Nothing fake about CNN. People up and increasing division during that period of time. Just watching people kind of fall down the rabbit hole and be pushed into action and like just, yeah, falling down the conspiracy rabbit hole. And here's the thing. I don't know how anyone can disagree with what that filmmaker is saying. I mean, he's making a very good point. And this is what bothers me so, so much about CNN and Fox, for that matter. Um, As I said earlier, I think the truth is usually somewhere in the middle of whatever you hear being reported on CNN and Fox. But the the lack of introspection. Don Lemon, can you really disagree that the media feeds into this division uh, amongst Americans? Can you really disagree that the media between CNN, Fox, MSNBC was dividing Americans during that period of time? And just the inability for Don Lemon to even listen to the rest of this answer or to take any culpability or to examine in any honest way how CNN uh, might have contributed to one side of the equation while Fox contributed to the other is it speaks volumes to me about the state instantly, of the, the, the legacy media. Instantly defensive. Mm-hmm. I, I like this kid, too. I mean, he seems like a younger kid. Maybe his, maybe his 30s. But, uh, but he's got kind of a scruffy look. He's got long hair, kind of not, not well maintained, I guess. He's wearing a hoodie. And when Don says that, he leans forward, like, bring it. Bring it, Don. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for it. Even though he's not the most eloquent spe- speaker, he's, uh, he's ready to defend his... Because he knows what he's saying is intellectually honest. Absolutely. And this is, again, and I go back to, you know, I am not that far removed from legacy media. And I never thought I would leave legacy media. In fact, in the months before I decided to leave Fox 13, I had my agent looking for jobs at the network. I was very much on that trajectory and looking forward to doing that. But I, I, I and we've talked about this a couple times on Dory's show, I am so frustrated by a media system that exists to hold powerful people accountable, yet refuses to even hear a whisper of accountability for itself. Uh, I talked about this, and I know Dory had Katie Davis court on when she was allegedly um, attacked and then robbed a conservative independent journalist um, outside a protest in Renton. And she goes to King and she goes to Cairo to ask for help calling 911. And uh, both of them said no. You know, in the days after that, I reached out to Cairo and King really respectfully asking for comment or can you provide me with any any context? And I'm genuinely trying to get to the bottom of it and just never heard anything. And it's not the first time with King King 5 that I've reached out multiple times to King 5 News with legitimate questions about their reporting and heard radio silence. And I think what's frustrating for me is like, okay, you want everyone else to comment, respond to your request for comment. You want to hold people accountable for their actions. You want to expect a certain like level of um, good faith from people. And you don't even want to entertain the possibility that you might have done something wrong that your reporting might have been wrong, that your crews may have conducted themselves in the field poorly. 
And to me, if as I, I cannot trust any media outlet that refuses to hold itself accountable to the same level that it holds everybody else accountable. And I think that's frustrating. And I've had to I've had to at times in my career correct reporting. You know, I've been a journalist in this city for, for 13 years. I've gotten things wrong during that period of time. And it hits you like a ton of bricks when you get something wrong and you realize, oh, wow, I did get that wrong. Um, thankfully, none of my stuff has been incredibly serious. But I'm always I jump at the opportunity to correct myself. And I always feel bad about it. And I think that there is this this lack of willingness from legacy media outlets to either correct mistakes or to acknowledge mistakes. Like we were talking earlier about the Hunter Biden laptop story. The fact that legacy media didn't come out and say, hey, we we got this wrong. We ignored this and it is a legitimate story and we fell short of our obligation to you. I think that says a lot as well about the legacy media. So the fact that, yeah, the fact that Don Lemon would immediately be like, oh, don't be critical of the media. We definitely aren't dividing Americans is ridiculous. Well, doesn't even want to have a discussion about it. He's just shutting it down instead of having a discussion and saying, well, here's our side of it. Here's I mean, there's no discussion then. Yeah, I disagree with what you're saying. We're not fake news. Nobody was he wasn't calling you fake news because I I did not like the fake news narrative. It is one of the the. things that really soured me from the beginning on Donald Trump. I just didn't like, I I would say I appreciate the sentiment of it a little more. You know, I've been a little red pilled since then, but I didn't like the treatment of CNN by Donald Trump um, and Jim Acosta. I didn't like the just kind of outright vilification, fake news of the media, because I remember that period of time, us feeling like we were kind of in danger, threats increased at the station. We had invested a lot of money in security and it was having real, real consequences on reporters who were acting in good faith, who weren't Jim Acosta of CNN. And so I never liked the fake news narrative. And so this filmmaker wasn't even bringing that into the equation. Then Don Lemon's like, oh, we're not fake news. And it's just so disingenuous. Anyway, that has been the big lead this hour. The big lead on Cairo Radio. Brandy Cruz filling in for Dory Monson, our friend Dory Monson. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about a little uh, controversy involving the lottery, right, Nicole? Yes. A little would you be angry at this? Uh, a woman won a lottery that. Well, let's just say okay, I won't. I won't do tease you, much. Do you love or hate white elephant gift exchanges? Oh, it depends. But I, I tend to like them if okay. I can gift something I have laying around the house. Okay, well that's it. Okay, well that's an extreme white elephant. But I mean, one you have to purchase a, a okay, gift yeah. you have to purchase, but you have to trade and you have to steal and that whole I think gift it's fun. stealing thing. I okay. think it's fun. But we'll let the listeners decide. Okay, we'll let the listeners decide. Coming up on the big show. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle-belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year It's the happiest season of all season for a woman who won big big time in her office white elephant gifting this is in kentucky this is such a good story so i actually have uh, this is a little known fact about me i have a little guilty pleasure of lotto scratch tickets 
I did not know that about you. I, I don't go buy them myself, but sometimes um, Mike will buy them. Like one time, I don't remember what he did, but he was in the doghouse, right? So I get home and there's this beautiful bouquet of flowers at our entryway. <laughs> And it has uh, scratch tickets tucked in the flowers. Love I'm like, it. this man knows me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a guilty pleasure of mine. I just like scratching the little things. Scratching and just the, I like to dream. Yeah. You dream about what you'd spend it on. Yeah. So this uh, Kentucky office uh, had a white elephant uh, gifting. And. Um, this woman named Lori Jane. So you guys know how white elephant, like the real deal is usually works is that you kind of draw like a number to says what number you're going to pick. And then if you don't like what you pick, you have an opportunity to steal a gift from somebody that, you know, a gift that's already been opened. Uh, if you like you it, open a new, or gift. you can open a new gift and there are some rules, et cetera, et cetera. But you can only steal twice and it's frozen things like yeah. that. So this woman, Lori Jane, uh, Jane's, she ended up getting a, um, TJ Maxx gift card for $25. That's what her first gift that she opened up was. And one of her colleagues was like, don't get too attached to that because I'm going to steal that TJ Maxx gift card from you. <laughs> so, uh, in fact, that uh, coworker got picked and she went and stole the $25 TJ Maxx gift card from Lori. So Lori had to pick a new gift. So she kind of surveys the gifts that have already been open and she decides she's going to steal these three lottery scratch tickets and by that time they'd already been stolen enough uh, and so she, they were hers like nobody was gonna be able to take them they got frozen they got frozen mm-hmm. so she ends up scratching them off and winning in front of everyone in front of everyone they're kind of goading her on winning a hundred seventy five thousand dollars and as she's scratching it off you know one of the one thing says she's won five thousand she goes to the next one it says twenty thousand like it's just insane and she thought it was a prank so she turns to the woman who brought those scratch tickets as um, the white elephant gift and is like, okay, this is a prank, right? And she said no. And sure enough, they entered it on the Kentucky Lottery website and she found out she'd won $175,000, which was about $120,000 after taxes. Um, and obviously she's freaked out. And the lady who bought who brought the tickets is the white elephant gift. She says that that was her like plan B. She wanted to initially, um, if you if you're from the Midwest or the South, there's a uh, it's like Nordstrom's, but it's called Von Mar, and she wanted to just get a twenty five dollar gift card to that department store, but she didn't do it in time, so she ends up just stopping getting the scratch tickets, and this woman ends up winning big. And you were saying, Nicole, the thing that stuck out to you is so the winner um, and the her husband took out. The woman who bought the scratchers to dinner? Yep. As like a thank you? Yeah. So here's, I guess there's a couple questions here for the text line. Triple eight nine seven three Cairo. Triple eight nine seven three Cairo. Would you split the winnings with the person you stole the gift from? You know, because she went out and said, okay, that, I want that. And from somebody who'd already opened it. Oh, not the person you stole it from. But I would feel guilty the person who purchased them. Because that's what you're... Um, you know, that's the thing is that you purchase the lotto tickets, you win the lotto, whatever. But uh, I think I would like if you bought them for me, I would definitely split them with you. Well, I would hope so, especially if it's a good friend of yours. I think you would give right. them a little bit of a kickback. And right? you would at least, I mean, because if I bought them for you and you didn't split it with me that much money, I would be bitter. I don't know if we could be friends. Uh, yeah, I think I'd be a little bitter, too. I mean, I'd be happy for you, but I'd be like, she's really not giving me any of that money. Um, apparently, she says that her family is going to pay, uh, use the money to pay off their cars, 
pay for college education of their daughter, who is finishing up her first semester at the University of Kentucky. Andrew, what would you do? Would you be, would you split the winnings? I don't think so. Oh, you're one of those. I think so. A little regular, regular Scrooge we have in here. I would (laughs) give him, I wouldn't give him half, but I would probably give him five, ten thousand dollars. Probably ten thousand. At least something. If it was you, Nicole, I'd give you half. More than dinner. More than and dinner. And this lady is claiming that she's totally fine with receiving dinner and feels like she won a gift, too. And I I just do not buy that at all. I guess when you buy someone lotto tickets, you do hope they win, right? I mean, you hope you're giving someone winning yeah, tickets. Yeah, you hope they win 100 bucks, And you know that there's always a possibility they could win something. So. Yeah. It's everybody who gifts lotto tickets. Should they be expected to, should they expect the money in return? I don't think so. I don't think you expect it, but you could hope. Uh, 253 says, give them $10,000. I think that's a reasonable amount. Yeah. Uh, Jack says, you don't split it with anyone. I would say if you're planning to not split it with anyone, then you don't scratch those suckers till you get home. And then you yeah. don't tell anybody what you won. Yeah. Tom in the 206 says, if they split the winnings, would they split the taxes? I guess you could, uh, you have to pay a pro-rated right. share of the taxes. If I'm giving you 10 grand, then you have to, to pay a little bit of that to taxes. I think that's fair, Tom. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Uh, this is just crazy, though. And we also, let's see, I'm getting all these texts in. 425, any true gift should never come with expectations of something in return. I agreed. That's a good point. Like I I'm said, a little bit torn. But you can hope. <laughs> Brad says, would you rather be known for being rich or for being generous? Being generous. Yes. Yes. For being sure. generous. Okay, Brad. Just tapping into the Christmas. Spirit. I also want the person that received to be generous too. Uh Nero says, I think this is a setup story to have people buy lottery tickets. Probably. I don't know. It was in the Washington Post, not saying they've never published anything that has been wrong. You guys have a lot of opinions on this. The other story, the other holiday story, since we're in the mood today, that popped up was um, this Wallet Hub study, which I think these Wallet Hub studies are stupid. They're always they like, really are. I just obscure. found this one ironic. But why not? That's so why I got it. You had done a story before about the fact that Seattle is like one of the least churched cities or the least churched city um, in the I nation. Think we're the least. I think we're the least churched region here. Okay. Yeah. And that doesn't surprise me, Um, which is interesting because according to WalletHub, Seattle is the best place to be in the U.S. for Christmas. That's weird to me. Isn't that cute? I thought that was... Is it cute? Why is it cute? I think we like... We obviously are unchurched, but we like to celebrate Christmas. I, I actually, that, that gives me a little hope for our region. It says that they measured five key dimensions, traditions and fun, observance, generosity, shopping and cost. Shopping and cost? Everything costs a ton well, here. The, the things you're shopping for cost a lot, but the, uh, the activities don't necessarily cost quite as much. What, like what? Uh, like the ice skating rinks, like, uh, you know, dif- different things. There's uh, I went to the, well, I won't say this one didn't cost much, but I went to that Kringle's gas station thing or Kringle station, I think I call it. That actually was a little bit overpriced in my opinion. But uh, I went to um, get Santa pictures at the Everett Santa, and that wasn't nearly what I thought it would cost for what you get in the experience. And... I mean, there's lots of things that you can do around here. You can go see warm beach lights. You can go to the zoo and see the Christmas lights. I mean, there's a lot of activities around okay. here that really are. Okay. 
I mean, we didn't even put up a Christmas tree this year, which I'm super bummed about. We just, you know, we were so busy. Mike's been working crazy hours. You and I went to Vegas, and it was like, eh, I guess we're not doing it now. It was beautiful last year. That's why I told Mike, I said, I put so much effort into our Christmas tree last year. It was this, like, um, woodland animal themed. Yes. And now all his ornaments just sitting in a box upstairs. I guess twenty twenty three. Garland. We have some garland. Okay. Yeah, we have some garland, but not the Christmas tree, which I'm super bummed about. All right, it flew by. I I think there seemed like there was less weekends in December this year because the uh, the holiday actually falls on the weekend. Eh, We're just busy. Only like three leading in. I don't know. We're just. I'll turn the Yule log on on Christmas Day and sit around the Yule log. (laughs) All right. Seattle, best place in the country to spend Christmas. Okay, Wallet Hub, whatever you say. All right, awesome audio clips of the day. Coming up next on the Dory Monson Show, Brandy Cruz filling in. And down the stretch, we come. What a day. What a show. What a show, what a day. Brandy Cruz filling in for my friend Dory Monson. Andrew just killing it with the Christmas music today. I love it. Is the bluebird here to stay? Is a new bird. He sings a love song. Who is this? Our good old boy Billy Shack. Oh, still. Oh, we're going with this. Okay. He really doesn't sing, does he? He's just sort of speaking. He's speaking. Sorry, William Shatner. I got to get to the awesome audio clips of the day. This is Dory Monson's awesome audio clips of the day. So something we haven't talked about, but that's been happening on the screens in front of us. Uh, Vladimir Zelensky is uh, in Washington, D.C. He just had a joint press conference with President Biden. And it was really funny because Nicole and I were sitting here during a break watching it. And we can't hear the audio on the TV screens. We've got Fox on one screen, CNN on the other. And we saw Zelensky look over at Biden in a very confused fashion, like, what is this guy saying? And I thought it was because his maybe translation wasn't working. Well, he messed with his earpiece, right. and I said, nobody, that's not your earpiece. Yeah, then he <laughs> says, not your earpiece, that's just how Biden talks. Uh, and here is maybe the moment that uh, Zelensky looked over at the president of the free world in confusion. Ukraine has defied Russia's expectations at every single turn. <clears throat> and President Zelensky... Zelensky, you have made it clear that he is uh, open to pursuing, uh, um, well, let me put it this way. He's not open, but you're open to pursuing peace. You're open to pursuing a just peace. Oh, uh, yes. Walensky. <laughs> um, Walensky. That's the CDC director. <laughs> yes. Uh, Biden went on to say that they haven't, we haven't seen an invasion like this since World War II. This is about, we've never seen a major invasion of a European country since World War II. I mean, we'll just ignore the fact that while he was vice president in 2014, Russia invaded Crimea and ultimately annexed uh, the Crimean Peninsula from Ukraine. But I mean, minor, minor details. Uh, Let's see. I also like, by the way, um, Vladimir Zelensky, he's at the White House, right? And he has this little, uh, I think it was an Oval Office meeting with the president that there was a little camera uh, action in there on. And then he's standing up next to the president. I do like the way he dresses. He just had on his green 
like like army pants and then just a green sweatshirt and he's just I know some people would be like oh you should dress up for the White House but I don't care no well I think it's a it's a fine line that he walks right where you have a country at war you're trying to represent you can't look too nice because then people are like your country's at war and you're getting dressed up for the president or well you know it's a it's a fine line I'm it's sure a, he has to walk I in agree. his decisions although and I'm not this is no um assessment of what's happening in Ukraine, but he also like has been on the cover of like Time, and they did a Vogue oh, shoot. With, I know he did a Vogue shoot with his first lady during the war. So if that that's, is bizarre. It to is me. bizarre. So if he's his effort is to say, oh, I don't want to look too dressed up because we're at war. Maybe skip the Vogue shoot or skip the speech during the American award shows. So he's sending some mixed signals there. I know he has an entertainment background, but. You just got to, like you said, optics oh, do matter. When, absolutely. When but maybe that was why he learned from the Vogue thing, because that <laughs> was a mistake, I think. Yeah, that was a mistake. Really quickly, Corinne Jean-Pierre, she says, well, migrants, they're just not, they're not just walking across the southern border. Uh, MSNBC begs to differ. Not that simple. It's not just that people are walking uh, across uh, across the border. We were even able to see, as of last night, a lot of migrants just crossing. And migrants I spoke to this morning saying they haven't had any interaction with U.S. immigration authorities. So they, are. they just walked right just walking right in. All right, that has been your awesome audio clips of the day. Brandy Cruz filling in for my friend Dory Monson. I will be right back in the big seat for the big show tomorrow. John Curley and Sherry Elliker coming up next. I don't believe it. They've managed the impossible. What an achievement. Bravo, bravo. What? You mean you actually like this show now? No. They've made the show even worse. Oh. <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. You're really a fantastic audience.